Please turn in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 13. I believe it can be found on page 758 in the Bibles in the chair backs. And I will just take note that I would encourage you, if you don't have the ESV, to perhaps look at it this morning on your screen or in the Bible there. The NIV is going to read quite differently in this chapter. Hosea chapter 13, I'm actually going to begin our reading in Hosea chapter 12, verse 14, the last verse of chapter 12, and then on the way through chapter 13. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, Those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God, from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am the lion, like the lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of Childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son, for at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, The wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt, because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Let's pray. Father, how else could we possibly understand what your word has to teach us this morning? 
but for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. And so teach us this morning. Help us to understand. Help us to apply. Help us to know you deeper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to understand what's going on here this morning in Hosea, I want to share with you and read with, from you from a book that I had in seminary that was very, very difficult. Uh, that was supposed to be funny. It's a children's book. Thank you. <laughs> this is a great new children's story book by Kevin DeYoung, and I want to read from you a couple of pages in here to kind of help understand what's going on during the time of Hosea. Not that God's people deserved it, but God finally gave them their promised land. God did the work to get them in, but God's people didn't do the work to drive everyone else out. This caused a lot of trouble for the Israelites. They constantly had enemies to fight, and worse, they constantly had to fight the temptation to be just like their enemies. Sometimes things would go well for Israel when they had a good leader. And when they obeyed, but most often things went poorly. You can see that golden calf up there they kept going back to. God gave the Israelites rules, but they didn't follow them. God made his dwelling among the people, but they didn't act like they wanted him to stick around. God sent prophets, but Israel didn't listen. God provided priests. Priests didn't know how to be holy. Later, God gave them kings, but the kings were a royal pain. Israel was a mess. Of course, God still had his promises to keep, but most days it was hard to imagine how anyone could save this stubborn people. It would have been even harder to imagine how the promised man could come from among this people. And so that story, I think, says it all of where we are in the life and in the days of Israel. They are a mess. They are a stubborn people who have rejected God in every way imaginable. And so Hosea is called to preach to these people. He's called to teach them. He's called to call them to faithfulness and repentance, though they are unfaithful. And even amongst all this, God has his promises to keep. He still has a work that needs to be done among his people. So how? How is he going to keep his promises to a people who seem to be so against him and rejecting him? How is God going to do it? Hosea will show us that God's mighty plan of salvation will come about by teaching us about the sinfulness of sin. And so that is what this chapter before us has to tell us, to teach us. Sin is so bad. Sin is so devastating that only death can make us right with God. Sin is so bad. Sin is so devastating that only death can make us right with God. As Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. 
So there's two questions that we need to ask this morning as we look at Hosea chapter 13. What are the wages that Israel has earned for their sin, and how will these wages be paid? What are the wages that Israel has earned for their sin, and how will these wages be paid? Well, first, what are the wages that Israel has earned for their sin? Let's first define what sin is so that we're all on the same page. I can think of no better definition than from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 14. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Sin is failing to love and obey God. Sin is against God. Sin offends God. It is an attack on His holy character. Sin cannot be ignored by God. It is contrary to His nature. It is contrary to His justice. He is a holy, holy, holy God. Sin cannot be in His presence. As simply as I could say it, sin is bad. Sin is bad. Hosea chapter 12, verse 14, the first verse we read there at the end of chapter 12, states that the sin of Ephraim, and remember Ephraim is Israel, okay? Ephraim was kind of the largest tribe within the nation of of, of Israel. They were kind of the, the head honchos. And so when we read in Hosea about Ephraim, we're talking about Israel, God's people. And so Hosea 12, verse 14 states that the sin of Ephraim, God's people, their sin has incurred a blood guilt. A blood guilt is upon them. Or some of your translations may say a guilt from bloodshed is upon them. This word, blood guilt, I mean, that has a very strong connotation to it. It has a very hard meaning to it in the scriptures. And here's what the scholar Douglas Stewart says about blood guilt. He said, blood guilt is a term denoting a level of guilt so great for an offense so severe that capital punishment is required. A blood guilt has incurred a capital punishment. Sin must be punished. The wages of sin is death. Israel must pay the wage for their sin. What are the wages of sin? What what does that Bible speak mean? Well, a wage, as you know, is an earning or a payment. Those who have a job and go to work, they earn wages. They earn payments for their work. Sin, if you will, earns a wage. Even more, sin has a debt that must be paid to God. Sin must be punished. It cannot be ignored by a holy God. Our sin has earned a punishment. The wages of sin is death. What have the people done to earn this wage for sin? I mean, What could they possibly have done to incur God's judgment of death upon them? Well, Hosea mentioned several ways here in this passage that we must explore. Look again with me in Hosea 12, verse 14. We see the provocation that Israel has brought because of their sin to the Lord. And now he says he will repay them for their disgraceful deeds. What are their disgraceful deeds that Hosea is referring to here? 
He's talking about their Baal worship. Worshiping false gods. Worshiping that golden calf. What is it with Israel and golden calves? They're always going back to the, to the calves. They were bowing down to these images. They were even offering child sacrifice. This idolatrous religion was so awful, so bad, so demonic, that it would literally involve using another human being as a sacrifice to appease a God who doesn't even exist. These were God's people going after this. Disgraceful deeds doesn't seem to quite capture the depravity of their actions. They were that bad. But the biblical teaching for us is this. Sin is not a petty thing before God. Sin is not a petty thing for God. It is is disgraceful. It dishonors his holy name. So judgment must be passed on our sin. Another way in which they had earned a wage for their sin, we see in chapter 13, verse 6. Their sin of pride. Their sin of pride. We saw this last time in Hosea chapter 12, and we see it again here, that the people were fat and happy. God was, Hosea is referring to their time in the wilderness where God literally provided manna and quail and water for them every day for something like two million people in their hiking party. God had an on-demand grocery store for them every morning and every evening. And they grazed, they ate, they were, they were fat and happy. They thought they were just doing fine. In fact, life was so good, they just ignored God. They forgot Him, Hosea 13.6 says. Even worse, they lived as if they didn't need Him. I mean, we got all this stuff. Why do we need God? The greatest manifestation of their sin of pride was that of unfaithfulness. Forgetting to love and obey and be faithful to the Lord their God. Do we sometimes forget God? Do we? We must take care in our lives that we don't live as practical atheists. That we don't live our day-to-day lives as if we don't need God and we're doing everything ourselves. We must be aware of our pride. We must be aware that just because life right now might not be difficult or life might not be hard for you and that you have all that you need, that you're providing everything because of the work of your hands, let's be careful that our pride does not overtake us. And we forget God. We forget to praise God from whom all blessings flow. As Israel did. What other wages have they earned for their sin? In verses 9 through 11 of chapter 13, their sin of rejecting God as king. They rejected God as king. Look in verse 10. 
Where is your king to save you? I gave you a king. I gave you a princess. That's what you asked for, but it didn't work out well. This sin referenced here is hearkening back to 1 Samuel when God's people said, give us a king so that we'll be like the other nations around us. And so who did they choose? Did they choose a man after God's own heart to be their king? No. They went with the handsome guy, the strong guy, the tall guy, Saul, who was a royal pain, as our Bible story illustrated for us. He was not faithful to the Lord God. There was nothing wrong with having a king. We need to get that straight. There was nothing wrong with Israel having a king But the essence of what was going on here and God's judgment upon them is because they were rejecting him as their king. And this has always been the sin of mankind, rejecting God as king. That was what was done in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. They rejected God as their king. They rejected his lordship over their lives. They broke his commandment. Because they wanted to be their own king and make all their own choices and not submit to God. It is a great sin to reject God as king. It is a great sin to reject God as your king. This morning we had parents make vows on behalf of their children, but here soon we'll have some more new members joining our church, and they too will make vows. And every one of you who are part of this church, you've made vows before God of your faithfulness. And one of our church vows states this, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Christ? It's one of the vows you make here for membership. In other words, Do you submit to Christ as Lord? Do you follow him? Will you see him as your king and as your absolute ruler in your life? Will you not only accept him and receive him as your savior, but will he be Lord over your life and will you follow him and submit to him as your king? This is what we must do. This is what we are called to because to reject God as your king is a great sin. It is a wage that deserves death. So how will these wages be paid? We have gone through examples here in Hosea chapter 13 of the wages of sin that they have earned. So how will these wages be paid? Well, again, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is, is death. There's no other way. A blood guilt has incurred. And therefore, a severe payment of blood must be paid. Bloodshed must be the result. A life must be given. Yahweh God knows this. I think it's fascinating to see in human terms. Look there in verse 14. In human terms... Yahweh God is is wrestling with what to do with his people. He's a loving and gracious and merciful God, yet sin must be punished. And he says, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? How is God going to, to deal with his ignorant and unfaithful people? 
But God must not compromise on who he is. And so death is the wage that must be paid for sin. And I don't know any other way to explain to to you the harsh reality of verses 15 and 16. I did not want to read verse 16 this morning. I really didn't. How else would we explain this harsh reality, this death that is so terrible that it doesn't spare anyone? Not even women and children. So what do we do? Where do we turn? How do we understand this teaching from Scripture? Well, hidden within this sermon, hidden within this warning here in Hosea chapter 13, verse 4. Is the promise of the gospel. Look there with me in verse 4. A covenant promise is found in in this verse. With these wonderful words, I am the Lord, your God, from the land of Egypt. Those are the only words that can ring sweetly in the ear of God's people who are facing judgment. The God who is warning them of great judgment of death coming their way, is also the God who says, I am Yahweh your God. I am your covenant God. I am the God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, delivered my people from slavery in Egypt and promised them a new land. I am the only God, your Savior. I am your only hope, is what God is saying. He is reminding them, you know, you know no God but me. You know that golden calf is not a God that can save you and rescue you and fulfill promises to you. I have always been your God. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. God reminds us sweetly that He is the Savior. You see, we must not separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. Because salvation has always been by grace, through faith, in God. They were only going to be saved by grace through faith in God. And here he says that I am Yahweh God, your personal God, your covenant God, the God who gave you your name. And later we see in the New Testament that Jesus says that before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, I am the great Yahweh God. I am your Savior. Even in the Old Testament, the gospel is preached. This is the good news. The only Savior has always been God, but now we know him as Jesus Christ. The second person of the Godhead. That is the only way we're going to get out of the hardness, the harshness, of this passage. Brothers and sisters, we are called not to treat sin lightly. We must not treat sin lightly. Look in verse 15. We can relate here with what's going on with the Israelites because though you may flourish for a time, just because things may seem to be good in your life, we need to heed this warning. That if you are rejecting God, your fountain will dry up. 
Your spring will run dry. Your money will be gone. Your precious things will pass away. They will be gone if we live in ignorance of sin against God. But the wages of sin being death is not the complete story, is it? That's not the rest of that great Bible verse in Romans 6, 23. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but, but, I love those awesome conjunctions in the Bible, but, here comes the good news. The gift, the free gift, it's free. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we sing, and so we proclaim, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can repay this blood guilt that is owed for our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can save us from destruction, from a holy God coming like a lion, like a leopard, like a bear to rip us open? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can save us from the pain of death and the hell of fire? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Finally, Christ coming once and for all to offer a final and complete sacrifice on our behalf to give his life, to die for us, to die for our sins. It brought about a great victory not only over our sin, but over the worst of all enemies. And that is death. Christ's death broke the power of death. That's why verse 14 in Hosea 13 is quoted in 1 Corinthians 15 that we read in our scripture passage this morning. And we see that the power of sin and death has been conquered by our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us the victory. Where, O death, is your victory. Where, O death, is your sting? It is gone. It is finished. Christ has conquered. And so, just fresh on our minds are these awful attacks in Paris. And all we can hold on to is that day that we long for. That day when death shall be swallowed up in victory. God's promise is sure. There will be a final victory to death and violence and suffering. And we will be with Christ forever and ever. And there will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more sin. Because death has been swallowed up in victory. Let's praise God for this. Pray with me. Lord, even amidst the hard reality of a sinful and ungrateful people here in Hosea, and even in the midst of a hard reality of the fallen world that we live in from the events of this past week, Your promise still rings true and stands true. 
that thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our sin has been nailed to the cross. And death has no more victory because Christ's death has accomplished this for us. We praise you for this. We rejoice in this. We sing to you because of this. In Christ's name, amen.